Hey guys, this is Rick Godwin, pastor of Summit Church here in San Antonio. Thanks for joining us today. You know, we're excited to have you on our podcast. Our goal is to inspire you and to challenge you and help everyone realize their full potential in Christ. Now enjoy the message. Well, I'm really glad you're here for this message because we're in a series looking at things people think God said, often say that God said it, that they think are in the Bible that are actually not in the Bible. Now, that'll warp your view of God. That will lead you to disappointment if you're thinking something about God that's wrong, correct? Yeah, it'll leave you a little unsatisfied. Where's God? How can this happen? So today we'll look at one that's not exactly fun, but it's called real life. And everybody here knows real life ain't always fun. Right? You've got to go get ice cream for fun, but not, not life. It's got ups and downs. Sometimes, sometimes somebody will be facing a real problem, adversity. They've got trouble at work or at home or a problem with their health or their financial life. And everybody in here has been touched with at least one of those at some point. And we want to encourage you. We want to come alongside and encourage them. And people will say sometimes, come on, Mickey, you can face this. You're tough. You're capable. Besides, we know it's not beyond your ability to cope because the Bible says God never gives us more than we can handle. How many of you ever heard that? It's a total lie. Okay, we'll see you. We'll see you in a moment, and I'll prove it. Just give me time. I'll unwrap this package, okay? Now, that's often intended to be a comforting statement because it's kind of taken as a promise. Like, if you just trust God, things won't get too bad. They won't ever get unbearable. Your life will be manageable. Now, the problem is the Bible never says that. In fact, if you read the Bible at all, you'll know pretty largely that it's a story of people be giving things quite often they cannot handle. To name one obvious fact, part of not handling things well is dying. And everybody in the Bible dies. For example, Abel, I wouldn't worry about your brother Cain because God never gives us more than we can handle. Oops, sorry about that, Cain. Hey, Uriah the Hittite, I wouldn't worry too much about King David with your wife Bathsheba because God never, oops, sorry about that. Hey, John the Baptist, don't worry about Herod with his machete because God won't give us more than we can handle. Oops, anybody got an oops going? Yeah, starting with Jesus and going down the line, the Bible is mostly about people whose faith in God not only does not prevent their suffering, but very often causes their suffering. And they never console one another anywhere in Scripture by saying, God won't give us more than we can handle. I'm going to unpack that in just a minute. Jesus himself ends his life being crucified, and his disciples take over the cause. And the first thing they get is arrested and beaten and we're told the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for his name. Now, when Paul is called by Jesus, 
the very first thing Jesus says to him, and it must have been very encouraging, I must show Paul how much he will suffer for my name. Merry Christmas. Great, Paul, you're in the ministry. Joy to the world. How would you like to hear that right off the bat? Then in what I believe is the most inspiring but sobering chapters in all of the Bible is the 11th chapter of Hebrews. And we're told about one person after another who's given more than they could handle. You think about these words and these things happening to real people like you and me. Some were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeering crowds, flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted. And please come over and join our church. <laughs> Are you reading this? This is, this is wild. You know, we, we just run that chapter right on by and we're thinking, well, other than that, how was your trip to Dallas, Miss Kennedy? I mean, and the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes. And people think the phrase, God won't give you anything you can't handle, is in the Bible. Have they ever read the Bible? See, the people God uses seem to have remarkable little concern about how much suffering they would do as long as they had a cause worth suffering for and a Savior worth suffering with. And that's what you and I have a cause worth suffering for, and a Savior worth suffering with. Now, the Bible verse most people quote around this thought, God will never give you more than you can handle, is a verse from the letter Paul wrote to Corinth in 1 Corinthians. But people usually misquote what Paul said. Here's the actual text, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way of escape so you can endure it. Now, Paul doesn't say here, expect minimal suffering because God won't give you anything you can't bear. He didn't say that. He says, don't let yourself rationalize sliding into sin because God won't allow temptation to come your way without giving you a way out. So Corinth, where Paul's writing, is like Las Vegas. It's a notorious city noted for greed, rampant sexual promiscuity, idolatry, arrogance, selfishness. Corinth is where people went to pursue temptation. It was Temptation Island. And it's a weird thing about us. Once I want to be tempted, I can find all kinds of ways to rationalize doing what I want to do. And I can even kind of drag God into it. I love Krispy Kreme donuts. I know I shouldn't. I go past it. There's one right on 1604. I'm pointing in that direction in case you did not know. And the hot now neon light is on. You can actually download a hot donut app to push notifications. These suckers are addicting, like a donut version of crack cocaine. They are so good. So I think maybe God wants me to have a hot donut. So I lay out a fleece. I will drive around the store, and if there's an open parking space in front, I'll know it's God's will for me to have a Krispy Kreme donut. 
So sure enough, my seventh lap around the store, there's an open space right in front. One of my friends has a dog that's very athletic. It's a yellow Labrador. But recently, they took him in for a checkup and found out, well, old Baxter's gained 15 pounds. And they found out old Baxter has discovered how to climb up and access his food supply. And he's eating himself into obesity. Well, they tried to explain to old Baxter that he's ruining his health. He did not care. He did not want to be delivered from temptation. They love the dog, but he has no moral character, whatever. His will is a slave to his desire. Now, in our day, the word temptation has largely become a joke or a tease. We see it mostly on dessert menus or reality TV shows, right? Yeah. But temptation does terrible things to us. It tries to unravel our humanity by convincing me that I'm just an appetite that has to be gratified. Well, God doesn't do that. God, says Paul, will give you a way of escape, a way out of that temptation. He won't allow more of that temptation than you're able to bear, but will give you an escape. He'll give you a fellowship group if you're an addict. He will give you the opportunity to confess and come clean, which is relieving. He'll give you another person who loves you to be accountable to. He will give you a friend who will pray for you. He will give you a sense of conviction that says, run, don't walk out of this situation or out of this relationship. Wasn't it Joseph who ran when uh, the wife of uh, Potiphar tried to put the hit on him? See, you run from temptation. You don't pray in tongues. You run. The Bible says flee fornication. There are, there are different answers to problems. And on that one, it's called run. Run. Run, Forrest. Run. <laughs> I forgot Forrest. I couldn't, couldn't think about it. Oh, well, God... God gives you warning bells in your conscience. The Holy Spirit will, will prompt you and say, hey, this is the wrong path to take. One of the reasons why small groups are so important for our church is that we help each other live up to who God made us to be. That's what we're all trying to do. God will provide a way out. So the danger is when I settle in and when I really want something and I'm not looking for a way out anymore. So let me pause and add a word here. If you've been playing with a temptation, let me urge you. Maybe it's about financial dishonesty. Maybe it's flirtation at the office that starts out kind of innocent, but headed towards a bad conclusion. Maybe it's about pursuing sexual intimacy outside of marriage. Maybe it's a habit turning into an addiction. Maybe it's refusing to be generous with your finances. Maybe it's a pattern of lying and deceit. Yeah, it started small but it ain't small anymore. So God is not mocked, he says, and sin will corrode your soul, ruin your character, destroy your eternity if you let it. So Paul is saying, but God is faithful. He will make a way of escape for you. So this is where he says, I won't put more on you than you're able to bear. He's talking about temptation, not any other part of life, all right? So make the decision this morning that you'll do whatever you need to do to be delivered by God's faithfulness and God's grace so that you're not mastered by the unworthy power of sin. Just do a heart checkup this weekend. That's what Paul's writing about, how God will not let you be tempted without giving you a way out. 
Now, the most frequently cited Bible passage about this saying is about temptation. God won't put more on your able. This is about temptation. But that still leaves the question, does God give people more than they can handle? Well, for that one, there's a different passage of Scripture that gives us insight that can change your life, even change your whole church. So I'm going to turn to this passage. This is written again to the Corinthian church, and this is Paul's second letter. He writes towards the very beginning. This is 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So that's an amazing passage. I'll start by noticing Paul calls God the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort. Now, one problem with the phrase, God won't give us more than we can handle, is it makes it sound like God is the one handing out suffering, handing out pain, handing out sickness. And lots of people think about God that way. Why'd God do this? Why'd God do that? How come the devil never gets blamed? God gets all the blame. See, the Bible's really clear. God hates evil. God hates suffering. God is not sitting up in heaven saying, I'll give this person an abusive father. I'll give that person a case of terminal cancer. I'll mess up those families by causing that plane to crash. No, Paul is quite deliberate in how he describes our God. He's not the father of evil. It didn't come from him. It came from hell. And the God of all pain, he is the father of compassion. See, the God not just of comfort, but of all comfort. Then it's not just that. Not only does God comfort us in our suffering, he then uses us to be able to bring that comfort and healing and hope to other people who are suffering. Have you ever thought about that? Take whatever part of hell you went through and, say, and share good hope for somebody else that, that with God will we'll overcome this thing, we'll deal with this thing, we'll make it through whatever the outcome happens to be. See, the very scars and wounds we carry around every day that we usually want to hide, like our addiction or our losses or our griefs or our failures, those ironically in the gospel and the power of the cross become the stories we tell and the bridges we build that enable us to be part of healing and hope and comfort in other people's lives who are suffering just like us. I don't want to hear your success story. I want to know how you overcame this problem with your kid. How did you overcome this issue with your health? How did you overcome that business setback? That's what encourages me. I can relate to somebody who's been there, done that, and got a t-shirt. You strutting around, no problems, everything's good all the time. Get out of my life because life is not like that, and that's a real lie. In fact, people who are willing to share their pain or suffering together experience a kind of healing and a kind of community together that doesn't happen with people who only share their successes and triumphs. Because people who thought, I'm all alone, kind of find out in a group, I'm not all alone. That's why they'll sit around in AA in folding chairs and say, hi, I'm Bill Rayner. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict, and everybody else in the room is too. 
So they, it, you, there's a camaraderie there because it's shared suffering. So I'm going to ask us to do something just for fun here uh, that I haven't done before. I'm going to go through some categories of human problems. And when I'm done, I'm going to ask if you've been in any of those categories or you've ever been uh, troubled by any of them or you felt any pain in any of them that you physically stand up, okay? Uh, the, the reason I want to do it is because we got a lot of people in our midst or watching online who are right now troubled, deeply troubled, and believe they're all alone. But now they can discover, hey, you aren't even close to being alone. So I'm going to ask people with those kind of troubles I'm going to name to stand up in a few minutes as a gift to other people around you so we could be sort of a community of the fellowship in suffering. So here we go. Don't stand yet. Wait for me to finish. If you've ever suffered from deep grief or loss or loneliness, if you or somebody you love has ever been troubled by an addiction like alcohol or substance abuse or sex or gambling, if you've ever been through the pain of betrayal, of divorce, of a broken family, if you've ever experienced the death of a spouse or a child or a loved one, if you've ever had a miscarriage or you know the ache of wanting children but not being able to have them, if you've known vocational pain, failure, being terminated, or joblessness, if you've ever been through cancer or a heart problem or other difficult health conditions, if you've ever felt failure as a parent, if you've ever been the victim of emotional or physical or sexual abuse or assault, if you or somebody you love has ever suffered from anxiety or depression or a phobia or a mental health challenge, if you have ever known any of these conditions or in some other way experienced significant suffering in your life that you could not fix, stand up. Come on. Stand up. I'm standing up. Everybody, look around here if you feel alone and look at the crowd. God bless you. You can be seated. You see, you're not even close to being alone. There is no, in this world, you will have tribulation. Jesus said that. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Everybody got trouble. Some people are right in the middle of it. Some people just coming out of it. Some people just going in. It's kind of cyclical like that. Everybody fights a battle only they and God know about. So you're not alone. We are the fellowship of the troubled heart. We walk together, and Paul promises God will be with us. We often look at each other, and we think we're so smart, so successful, to so together, but we don't even see what God sees. So I want to give you a statement to say to somebody around you. Just say, you think your problems are bad. You should hear about mine. Go ahead. Tell somebody next to you. You think your problems are bad. You should hear about mine. They need to hear that. I wanted to do that this weekend because one of the great illusions of people in trouble or suffering, the evil one will often use this, and it's especially prominent in our day of gloriously successful social media post. And the illusion is, gee, I'm the only one that sucks. I'm the only one with problems. Everybody else is just doing great. I, I was thinking about why don't we see these kind of Instagram posts? Like, I picked up grandmother from jail today. Hope the third time is a charm. 
All right, here's a picture of me getting fired at work. Here are the security guards escorting me out. <laughs> you don't see that, right? Or my girlfriend broke up with me this week by text. Here it is, laughing out loud emoji. So you rarely see any of that on Instagram. You rarely see it get posted on Facebook, social media, you know. Social media is fine when you're handling it, but where do you go when you're not handling it? Right here to the fellowship of the trouble, right here. And this kind of haunts me because this is years ago. Somebody had been driving past our church for years on Sunday mornings, and they would often see people outside talking, laughing, having fun, looking well together and dressed confidently. And this person who eventually joined our church later said that for years they would drive past and they would see that group of people. And here's what they thought. I could never fit in there. They all look like they're at a giant cocktail party for successful people. Now, some of you visiting are wondering, do they serve cocktails in between services? I'm just getting donuts and coffee. Which table do I go to? It might help attendance. I don't know. We'll pray about it. But it's just an expression. We're not a gathering of the triumphant. We're the fellowship of the troubled heart. That's all we are. That is all the church has ever been at any generation. Amen. If you have suffered a major hurt, well, you have a major gift to offer. If you've suffered a major piece of suffering or pain, you've got a major contribution to make to other people. Don't you waste it. Not, not from your own strength, but from your scar, your limp, your wound, your inadequacy. And boy, we hate that word inadequate, don't we? We hate that in our culture today. So for reasons I don't understand, shared pain creates a community that untroubled triumph and success does not because nobody has unlimited success. That doesn't mean that your suffering is always manageable because sometimes it's not. It means your suffering is always meaningful. So I want you to look at how Paul describes his trouble level on a scale of one to 10. Take a look at this and think about where Paul would rate on the trouble level between one and 10. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse eight and nine. We do not want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced in Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure it, so that we despaired even of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Holy Moses. I want to say, now, Paul, God won't give you more than you can handle. He's already over the limit. On a scale of one to 10, where would you put Paul? Yeah, at least at 10. So really bad troubles would be the maximum we could endure. If God never gave anybody more than they could handle, that would be the limit, the maximum they could endure. But Paul says that was not the limit. He says that his troubles were not just what he could endure. They were not even all that he could endure. He says they were beyond all he could endure. Not just a moderate amount, but beyond. And they were far beyond all he could endure. Anybody feeling encouraged already? In fact, he was in despair 
In fact, he had received, he said, a sentence of death. But he goes on to say, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So the question is not what I can handle. The question is what God and I can handle. A friend of mine put it like this. It's not that God won't give you any more than you can handle, but that God will help you handle whatever you've been given. And that encourages me, right? When I hear that phrase, God will not give you more than you can handle, I think, sure he will. Sure life will. People die. Dying is what you do when your body can't handle it anymore. Uh Uh-huh. And people die every day. If you rely only on yourself when it comes to death, I guarantee you death will probably win. As one doctor who runs a healthcare hedge fund and has given millions of dollars to this cause said recently, and I quote, thermodynamically, there should be no reason we can't defer aging indefinitely. We can end aging forever, close quote. Well, doc, we're, we're, we're close, but for the moment, the death rate's still 100%. So for the moment, death is more than you can handle, but not God. So Paul throws it in like an afterthought. He says, so that we would rely on God who raises the dead. See, when you get to that place of more than you can handle, it's God or nothing. And, and for people without Jesus, they have no other hope. They have no other option. See, and by God raised the dead. I, even the worst thing to happen to me is to die. I've got eternal life. So you can't, you can't bully me or patronize me or intimidate me or threaten me. I have a hope no matter what's coming down around my life, even though I can't figure it out. I can't fix it. I can't handle it. Me and God can. That's the key. I got backup, right? What, what the Cowboys need this season, some good, good backup. So if you know and love somebody who has died or somebody who's dying, that's really good news. He comforts us that God comforts us in our trouble. See, he can bring comfort, this God who raises people from the dead and in his care where death itself is an enemy. God says, I'm going to even destroy that in time. There's comfort. There's meaning. So my life is not wasted no matter what's happening to me. How does God comfort us? Well, in prayer and through God's word, his scripture. That's why having him alive in your mind is important. Whether it's in a hymn or a worship song or from from speaking or teaching. I think of walking into a hospital room of somebody facing what physically they cannot handle. And there's a little plaque on the wall that just says, it is well. That's from an old, old hymn, it is well with my soul, no matter what I'm going through. It's through our thoughts, God brings comfort. In our tears with strength or hope or a little whisper, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Through the reality of Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection from the dead, and maybe most often God does this encouragement through other people. That's our part. See, this is part of why our church matters so much. A couple of weeks ago, a friend told me his wife, this is out of state, uh, someone I know through relationship, told me his wife found a lump in her breast, and it was not good news. She had already had this form of cancer before, twice, and we prayed for the next four days. Not this, he said. 
I can't handle this. And on the fifth day, her husband told me, it's back for the third time. I'll tell you what I did not say. I did not tell him, God will not give you more than you can handle. He told me an amazing story. His wife had been reading the writings of Joni Erickson Tata, and she had been a quadriplegic for 50 years after a diving accident when she was a teenager. She had an amazing life of comforting others with the comfort she has received. She had breast cancer quite a few years ago, and recently it returned. And what Joni wrote was, I don't want it to go to waste. I don't want it to be meaningless. I want to help somebody else. My friend and I prayed the surgery would go okay. It did not go okay. She had to have another surgery. The next day, she had to have a third surgery, even on the third day. She's going to have to go through what she wanted not to go through the most. She found herself like many of us at times, in a room she didn't want to be in, in the fellowship of shared suffering where people do not say to one another, God won't give you more than you can handle. And they don't say everything happens for a reason. And they don't say it's going to get better, I promise. I don't know why stuff like this happens. I don't know the answer to your suffering, but I believe there's meaning to all of our suffering and that God will never waste a hurt because we are the fellowship of the troubled heart. We gather under the shadow of the cross where the crucified God says, I know, me too. I've been there. I gave my son. I know what it is to suffer. And he asked for today, I think that he would say to all of us is, is really simple. Identify your deepest hurt. Maybe it goes back a long time. Maybe it's just today. Maybe it's something recent. Bring it to God. Grieve about it. Lament, question, anguish, trust, pray. And then don't let that wound go to waste. Then say, God, who might I be able to help this week? This week, be on the lookout for somebody who's hurting, maybe in an area where you've been hurting. Write them a note. Give them a call. Listen. Show compassion. Care. Encourage. See, I don't want a single person to leave carrying a burden alone. Why can't we just be a giant, small group for each other this weekend. If somebody looks alone or afraid or hurting, you just come alongside. I want to ask God to bring comfort into this moment for every hurting heart in this room. And if you're sitting next to somebody and you know there's been big hurt in their life, maybe they've been dealt something they can't handle, you can just put a hand on their shoulder as I pray to let them know you're there and that you care. And sometimes that's all you need to do just for encouragement. It's just, I've been with friends that have lost a child. Uh, I've been with some pastor friends who've gone through, uh, one of the children was involved in some very bad behavior lawsuits and they were just devastated. And all I could do was buy a ticket, show up in the house and hug. I didn't have a big answer. I didn't say God won't give you more than you can bear. It's already more than they could bear. But God's for us. He's with us. He won't forsake us. And together we will get through this. And we'll take this pain and there'll be a day we can share it to help somebody else and say, I've been there. I know how you feel. And God is faithful. We're going through it together. So I want to pray. Just bow your head with me, would you? And if you're with a friend, somebody you know, of course, you can just put a hand on their shoulder. Heavenly Father, I pray now for everybody who's hurting. I pray for everybody who grieves. I pray for everybody who is fearful at the moment. 
I pray for everybody who regrets. I pray for the sad, the sick, the silent, the confused, the alone. God of all comfort, would you who raise the dead bring comfort of your love and care into this room, into every heart. We're asking that together this morning in that name above every name, our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, thanks again for joining us today. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe and share it with a friend. Follow me by visiting the links in the description. I'm praying today that God richly blesses you this entire week.